You're listening to the Enhance Your Practice podcast series, brought to you by ASPS University. I'm ASPS University Chair, Dr. Nicholas Panetta, and I invite you to check out all of our educational offerings, from professional surgical videos, courses on practice management, and much, much more at ASPS EdNet. Hello, listener. Welcome to the ASPS University podcast, Enhance Your Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Ash Patel. This episode is titled Real Estate, Choosing the Right Investment, and we're lucky to be joined today by Nathan McElroy from Marcus and Mullichap. Thanks for joining us today, Nathan. Hello, Dr. Patel. It's a pleasure to be with you today. So Nathan, for our listeners, can you give us a little bit of a background of who you are, your role in Marcus and Mullichap, and, and what the company actually does? Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Nathan McElroy, and I'm a commercial broker with Marcus and Millichap. My firm is the largest transactor of commercial property in the United States. Uh, We've recently expanded internationally and acquiring a company in Canada as well. My background is I've spent about uh, a year and a half or so in the brokerage world. Uh, Before that, I worked uh, over a decade in investment banking with various experience across uh, the corporate debt world. Real estate was always an interest of mine, working on a few transactions uh, in the investment banking world as well, Uh, one actually being the Las Vegas Raiders uh, new stadium complex uh, that I was involved on the back end with that land deal. It's part of my banking experience and that kind of opened me up to this transition into real estate. Does Marcus and Millichap have a specific interest in medical offices and that type of property? Marcus Millichap is an investment sales company. So we focus exclusively on the purchase sale and advisory aspects around the purchase sale of, of real property. And we deal with medical property, office property, as well as really all other aspects of the commercial world. So that includes multifamily property, hospitality, which are hotels, golf courses, industrial, manufactured home communities, retail, self-storage, seniors housing, net leased properties, as well as mixed use, uh, land even, and then some of your more miscellaneous and specialty properties like resorts, marinas, churches, that type of thing. So some of our listeners may not really be familiar with commercial real estate or or real estate investments and what that really entails. So essentially, it's it's all kinds of properties that your company is involved in, as well as in terms of the medical side of things, office space that physicians might be using for their own offices. That's correct. So it's not just uh, office space, your typical corporate headquarters and that type of property, but also the medical office space, as you mentioned, whether it be for your own practice or as you uh, raise your own capital and decide to focus on more of the investment side, you could invest in medical practice. And that could be anything from a a private, small, uh, mom and pop, single unit medical practice to a large uh, university-based healthcare system. My first set of questions, I think, are going to be focused on that aspect, on the medical office aspect. What should our members, uh, the listeners here, uh, be thinking about if they were going to be asking a real estate company or a commercial broker like yourself about properties that they, they needed to look at? So the beginning of that conversation, I guess there would be twofold. It would first, you'd be looking at um, if you were trying to occupy the space yourself and what you were looking for, or the separately, you'd be looking at the investment. So there's there's a lot to unpack there as far as the investment itself. Obviously, any investment carries some type of risk. And the first thing anyone should do is, is one, talk to a broker, and then two, also utilize some of the resources available to educate themselves. Because 
the value of property and also the level of investment will depend pretty significantly on the local market as well as a lot of the national factors that are all tied into real estate, not just returns, but also the values of the real estate. Does Marcus and Millichap, do they perform market analyses for different areas around the country to help your clients figure that out? We do. So we're a national firm with a, a local boots on the ground approach. So my specialty is office and medical office property, primarily in the North Carolina area. And that's my focus, uh, whereas we have a, a a larger reach nationally as well. There, there are brokers like me across the country, throughout all of the major cities, as well as a lot of the even smaller areas. So we cover the entire country very thoroughly. And on top of that, we offer a lot of research that allows people to, you know, at their own pace, dive in and kind of keep track of a lot of the market updates. You know, when we're talking about really dipping your toes into the commercial real estate world, uh, you do need to first understand that it is an investment. You know, so you're comparing it to other investments immediately. You're talking about the stock market, you're talking about um, the you know, treasury bonds and kind of comparing it along those uh, means as well. So, you know, again, we're talking about not just the owner-occupied version of this, but also the investment side. Um, now, the volatility of the stock market is something that you have to think about when you're talking about investing, as well as the low return on things like treasury bonds. We think that you know, commercial real estate has historically been one of the great ways to both maintain and also grow your wealth. Not that I would say any investment is necessarily secure, but commercial real estate is one of the best places to invest your funds to get that return consistently and build your wealth. So when I think about investing in purchasing a medical office, a medical office building, are there any red flags or, or common problems that you, your clients come across? Absolutely. So what we like to tell clients and when we talk to people, uh, even before their clients, is that we really need to analyze a property on its own, on its own merits. Because if you have a property on one side of a city versus the, an identical property you know, a few blocks over, you could be looking at a very different property. And so there's a lot of small things. And that's, again, kind of going back to what I mentioned earlier about bringing a broker in as soon as possible, because that way they can align with your goals and understand what you're looking for. And that might be the the value you'd like to invest, what you're looking for as far as space is concerned, because I'm sure some of your listeners will look at things like either investing in an existing property or even the option of buying some land and building their own property. You know, there, there are obvious drawbacks to both of those, uh, but it's good to talk to someone who is knee deep in it. Whereas a lot of investors, uh, like your listeners, I'm sure are people who you know, work in the medical field already. And so most of their attention, their day-to-day is, is focused on their own business, their own lives. Whereas someone like me, my entire life is focused on the different macro and microeconomic factors, GDP, growth, uh, employment, the different population indicators, and in not just a locality, but also the those macro trends that we're looking at, and even factoring in things like obviously the pandemic throughout 2020 and how that has affected things. There's a lot of there's been a lot of turmoil in the markets, in the stock markets, but also the commercial real estate world. You know, up until 2020, we'd been looking at over a decade of of basically growth across the board, and very secure investments. If you're, you know, if you invested in commercial real estate over the past decade, fair chances that you saw growth up until the pandemic really hit in 2020. And then with 2020, the financing became a little bit more difficult. And so there's a lot of rebalancing back to 
fundamental analysis on a specific real estate uh, property. So that's you know a long way of saying looking at the, the specific property and what your specific goals are are very important and can really indicate and decide how you're going to make those decisions going forward. If our clients were thinking about a property where they would want to build uh, an ambulatory surgery center, for example, would they have to think about different things as opposed to a property that would just be a medical office building? I would say yes. Anytime you're looking at the different types of property, there are some additional details. Now, typically with medical office, you are looking at some level of upfit over your standard office. Now, that depends. When I talk about medical office, I usually group in there, not just plastic surgeons, pediatricians, your your standard dentist office, uh, surgery centers could be included, as well as even things like a chiropractor's office would be considered under that medical office umbrella. And those specific needs are often very different based on how the practice operates and also the size of the practice and, and scope of what they're trying to do. Like I mentioned, obviously the the natural just medical office upfits when you're talking about things like sinks in the room perhaps are needed. But a lot, again, comes down to the very specific things. Anything like a build out, if you're going to build your own property, there's going to be a little bit more to worry about than if you already came into a property that was pre-built and already tied in, you know, properly zoned, etc. I mean, if I was thinking about medical office space and long-term value for any particular piece of property, how big of an impact is some of that infrastructure in, in, in terms of the, the long-term value of that property? And also, how much of an impact are the, the current usage of surrounding buildings? Do those things have an impact on that, that individual property in terms of a medical office building? Absolutely. You know, the nice thing about the medical office property is that is in the market it is seen as some of the most consistent and stable property and is maintained even throughout the pandemic, some of the highest demand across the industry because these strong leases, the, the demand for medical office product is consistent and is expected to remain that way. We haven't even seen much of a fall off as far as pricing goes, which is something you would not necessarily have expected. Now, as with any property, and this, you know, whether it be medical office or a industrial property, the area around it and some of the driving factors around that area will have a significant impact. And you might have a great medical property in a great area, but perhaps there's an oversupply, there's a buildup of uh, additional office space, so that might impact your your long-term value obviously negatively. Uh, things like the lease in place and the returns you're seeing on that lease are also very important uh, and the structure of that lease as well you know with with putting into leases into effect on some of these properties you want to look at terms of 5 and 10 years with strategic uh, increases throughout that way you can really maximize your value and that's one thing again You'll probably be, get tired of me t telling you this, but you're talking to a broker upfront when you're trying to make those decisions is one of the most important things you really can do because you know there's no cost in talking to a broker upfront, and we try to help align that long-term strategy with what you're trying to do. You know, a lot of the clients that we eventually sell and buy property for, they are advisory clients long before we actually even start doing business with them or for them. We help people maximize that value because there are all those indicators and all of those things are are pressuring one another. You know, for instance, I work in the Raleigh market pretty significantly and the pressure of supply and demand uh, as far as 
you know, one side of the city to the other side of the city has caused pretty significant increases and decreases in value, kind of depending on where you're located and what drivers come into place, whether it be new employers, new build-outs, etc. Plastic Surgery Connect is how ASPS connects plastic surgery consumers with high-quality procedure information and qualified ASPS member surgeons. More than 10 million people visit PlasticSurgery.org every year, and that number is growing. ASPS member surgeons can use a Plastic Surgery Connect premium profile to be featured on PlasticSurgery.org with more than just the name and phone number. Greet patients with a welcome video, show off your before and after photos, advertise practice specials, and add SEO-friendly links back to your own website. Providing visitors with a more complete picture of your practice works. Premium profiles receive on average five times the consultation requests over a standard listing. Learn more and sign up plasticsurgery.org forward slash connect. Are there any other factors that our listeners should think about that may impact the potential risk of purchasing a property or, or, or its impact as a, as a long-term investment? Besides some of the things that we've already talked about, things like just general inflation, uh, the election, obviously that throws in a lot of uncertainty. And what you'll see is uncertainty is really one of the largest driving factors in those price variations. Uh, and that can also be kind of tied into uh, what we see is, is cap rate arbitrage, which is when uh, you know, as a national firm, we see a significant amount of capital migration uh, from some of the higher cost areas like the West Coast and the Northeast investing in property, you know, particularly in the Southeast United States, because investors can get a larger return on their money. And now this is obviously talking a little bit more about an investment side of things where you can invest in a property, you know, maybe a net lease property that you don't really have to do much in besides you know, collect a monthly rent check. But it's it's something that we're, we're consistently seeing that type of arbitrage in particular states like Texas, North Carolina, Florida, which are really driving a lot of the growth in this area right now. So those are things that you know, you're not necessarily restricted to the area that you live in as far as buying commercial property. Getting that type of exposure is going to a lot depend on the resources you expose yourself to. Like I mentioned, using a, a strong brokerage firm is, is one of the best things you can do because they have access to that. Uh, unfortunately, the commercial real estate world is a little bit like the Wild West out there. So the online resources, if you were just to, to Google something, uh, might not be the, the best picture of what's actually happening and also might not be the complete picture. And there's a, there's a lot of dots to fill in that I think a person like myself could really help with. So rather than focusing on property, which uh, our listeners might use as part of their practice, potentially with some leased space, I, I want to think about property that's purely for investment potential. Uh, you know, for our listeners, are there, are there things that you've seen over the last few years that have led towards particular types of property being better investments than others? When I talked a little bit about the decade-long kind of just general increase in property, that's obviously been, some, been a strong driver. Um, with the pandemic hitting, you obviously saw pretty severe impacts to the hospitality industry and the retail industry. Now, we're still seeing those impacts, and we project that 2021 will still see a lot of those impacts with the closure of a lot of, a lot of the, the retail, smaller retail spaces, especially out there, and the, the shifting behaviors. So when I, when, I say is, when I say that, we also look at things like migration in just 
people migration from places like you know the migration of New York City from people moving south. Um, you know, there's obviously also within uh, cities we see a lot of central urban migration to more suburban living. Now, part of that is an aging population. Um, actually, what we've seen is as the you know, millennial generation has aged, they've, they've tended to want to move more into the suburbs. That was just expedited by the pandemic. So we've seen things like office and medical office property in more suburban areas around major city centers really grow in value. And those trends we we assume will continue. There's a lot to unpack on a, on a very particular level. And also it does depend very regionally as far as where you are and, and what you're looking at. But those are, are macro trends that we think are, are going to continue to apply. Yeah, that's that's you bring up an interesting point because I almost feel like we'd seen well over a decade of of increasing urban renewal and gentrification and certainly I think the pandemic accelerated a trend of people wanting to get out of major urban areas. Do you think in general that there'll be a trend that may continue for for several years after the pandemic of of people not wanting to be in in a city environment? Cities will always have their draw. I think that what you will see is shifting as far as perhaps the, the density in cities. So I think the, the urban cores will maintain some of their population. And what you'll see is companies coming in. And you know, for instance, I saw a company recently uh, in the Raleigh area, which came in and bought an old mall that because of the pandemic, it actually shut down uh, a lot of its major larger stores. And so the company came in, they're going to redevelop it into an entire office campus. And so you're going to see some that type of creative use of, of space, but you're also, we do see over the next couple of years that that suburban migration becoming a little more popular. Now, I'm not talking uh, extreme country living. I think that's always going to be an acquired taste, but I think that kind of within a, a nice commute of some of the major city centers and the, and the major drivers is, is something we'll continue to see. And a lot of the, the medical large uh, medical providers uh, are also kind of seeing that trend and they're they're shifting their own uh, strategy to mirror that um, they're building a lot of outpatient centers within some of these smaller city centers that do not require that just large hospital campus central presence and allow people to have some of the more sophisticated healthcare options much closer you know that's that's an excellent point as well have you seen that trend as we've seen kind of regionalization of healthcare with health systems uh, looking to expand their reach have you seen many kind of satellite offices on multiple locations and 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 more of that uh, aspect of of medical practices building up in in smaller towns uh, as opposed to requiring the movement of patients towards the medical location in a in a bigger population center Absolutely. I, I think that some of the you know, maybe more major surgeries are still being conducted in some of the, the major centralized hospital locations. But in general, uh, a lot of the, the larger hospital chains especially are, are u- utilizing this model to expand into some of these smaller growing towns on the periphery of larger cities. And we don't see that stopping anytime soon. It seems to have been a successful model thus far. And even throughout the pandemic, that model has continued to be successful. Uh, it, it not only draws investors into the medical office space, but also in the, the medical decision makers themselves who are in charge of those university systems and some of the larger practitioners in the areas are, are continuing that practice. 
Nathan, you've given us some great information about about thinking about the actual properties themselves. Let me ask you a quick question about about financing. Some of our members, particularly some of the younger uh, surgeons who are listening, may not be fully aware of the fact that we've got some very, very low interest rates right now. So how should they think about their ability to invest or finance their real estate uh, at the current time? You know, that's a great question and a great point. The, the interest rates have been at historical lows, especially the past year or so. And you know, looking at short-term and long-term outlooks, we, we do expect those to rise. So a lot of investors right now are taking the time to utilize those low interest rates and get into commercial property. Um, and, and what they do is they factor in the type of returns they can get uh, via cap rate. And, and when I say cap rate, that's your, your net operating income to property asset value. So when you see a property listed, you know, there'll be a percentage associated with it, which is your net operating income cap rate. And then when you're looking at cap rate, you know, when you're talking about that's 2 to 4%, it's probably on the low end, 4 to 8 is kind of mid and above 8 is a little bit high. And now it's variable depending on the property type as well. But a lot of investors also factor in kind of tying this back to the interest rate, the cash on cash return, which is the annual income on the actual cash invested. Because when you're coming into an investment property, you're not going to, for the most part, be wanting to put in 100% of the, the list price or the, the agreed upon price and uh, pay for that just up front. You would most likely be looking at something like uh, you know 70% LTV buying essentially a you know a million dollar building for example for three hundred thousand. Uh, that type of cash on cash return is is what we see most investors purchase property on and utilizing that low interest rate environment right now has been one of the the largest drivers because even through 2020 we've seen very high volumes of transactions in an environment where the instinct would be you'd think people would just jump to the sidelines whereas what we've seen with the low interest rates is significant transaction volume uh, throughout the entire year. A brief pause in the first quarter, end of first quarter of 2020, but we expect the same type of volume to continue as people try to maximize what they can do in this low interest rate environment. And it gives a lot of opportunity because, like I said, a, a year down the road, we do expect these interest rates to rise up. And when you're talking about purchases of this size in the commercial real estate, it's good to try to get ahead of those curves as much as possible. For our listeners uh, who wanted to learn more about commercial real estate and the medical office space, are there any any resources or, or any other sources for information that you could uh, tell them about? Absolutely. So first and foremost, I, I would encourage all of your listeners to find you know one or two, maybe you know, a few different commercial brokers in their area. And, and contact them directly. You know, commercial brokers, we work on a relationship business. We understand that's how the real estate world works. So reaching out to them, having a conversation, it doesn't cost you anything. And things change so quickly that really having that direct line into a broker will have them on not only get you a direct line to the information, but also allows them to think of you first as far as when information changes. Uh, there have been so many changes over the past year that trying to keep up with information flow, um, if I wasn't in the industry, would be almost impossible. So it's it's not only that, but you know, things change. And what you can do is, as you start to talk to them, they can not only educate you, but they can also give you specific examples of the local market as well as a national outlook and, and start bringing into partic- particular 
specifics on what you're looking for and what you're able to get into and what that looks like as far as a return because a lot of what the investment sales side of the business is going to look into is, is cap rate and then cash on cash return uh, to utilize low interest rates that have been historically low for a little while now before they start to increase again and and trying to really maximize what you can get uh, for your dollar but that as well as you know a larger firm like my own would offer significant investment research services uh, that you can kind of on your own time be steered towards. And, you know, I'll be happy to provide a link uh, to attach to the episode that we can steer you towards just kind of in your own time. You can take a look at our research, let our research team show you what we're seeing in the market. Um, a firm like my own has a large reach. Uh, for instance, we had uh, just prior to year end, we had the former Fed chair, Ben Bernanke, on just to, as a, as a private client webcast to to explain to people what they he sees as the economic output, the Fed's probable response, and how things may shake up here as part of as the election unfolded. So that's the type of insight we try to provide to people, give them real time information, and allow you. You know, obviously it is an investment, but and, and decisions will ultimately be up to you. But there's a lot of detail that we try to provide, and like I said, not to get lost in the weeds too much, but with this much information trying to access the best people that can help you make those decisions is is something I cannot recommend enough. That's fantastic. And it'll be great to, to be able to, for our members to be able to access those resources. We'll share that link on the ASPS University uh, site. You've got some great information, Nathan. Thank you for, for taking time out of your, your undoubtedly busy schedule to talk to us today. I really appreciate it. Well, it's a pleasure being here. I really appreciate the time today. And, you know, please have your audience contact me uh, directly. That way, if there are any specific questions, I'll be happy to get in touch with people and, and provide as much information and help as I possibly can. That's fantastic. Thank you again. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thanks again. Join us on the next episode of Enhance Your Practice, where we'll be discussing measuring the non-monetary return on investment of portable ultrasound for plastic surgeons with Dr. John Lindsay. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our Enhance Your Practice podcast series, brought to you by ASPS University and our host, Dr. Ash Patel. You can listen to our other episodes on any of the podcast platforms where they are currently available, or you can download recordings directly from ASPS Ednet. New seasons and episodes are coming soon on practice management. Please contact ASPS Education with your feedback and suggestions for future podcast topics. Thank you for tuning in.